Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Okay, Regeroo, we ready to go? All right. I like where the levels are. I'm all set. Comfy, comfy in my chair. Let me just uh, adjust the microphone. Good spot. You all set? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to winter, huh? <laughs> uh, Chicago in February. <laughs> Makes you long for anywhere with, a, with the sun and a beach. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to go? Let's do it. I'm ready. Cool. All right, I'll give you the uh, three S's, I'll give you the countdown, you give me the music, I'll give you a podcast. Okay? Here we go, put it in the books, 298. Woohoo! getting close to that big 300 number. I'm not sure what that means either. <laughs> All right, here we go, ready? <clears throat> Star, smile, strong. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Of course we're there. Duh. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. But most, most, most of all... Don't forget to get out there and spread the word about this podcast. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell anybody you know who listens to podcasts that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. That loyalty, that devotion, oh, it warms the cockles of my heart, and it is much appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, there's lots of past podcasts. A plethora of past podcasts (laughs) for you to binge on. So go to WGNRadio.com. WGNRadio.com. Go to the podcast section. Hit the prompt. Lots of peas today, huh? For this podcast. And you will get in there and find a plethora of past podcasts. About three hundred, about 297 to be exact, if they're all in there. Find out where we were to find out where we're going. Right now, we're going on to episode number 298. I'm not sure what milestone... 300 is? Is it a milestone? Anything with a zero or a five, we love to commemorate. So I guess 300 is a big deal. Uh, I remember I remember speaking about episode 250 and wondering if that was a big deal. And now we are right on the doorstep of 300 podcasts. It sounds impressive. I guess it is. I don't know. (laughs) 
started in uh, May of 2016, and it is now, well, we, well, we'll certainly be into mid-February uh, when we're hitting the 300 mark. Wow, I guess. I don't know. So I, I've had, I have had some questions from listeners, regular podcast listeners, um, if I'm going to do something special for number 300. And I'm still contemplating and debating whether I should uh, do something special or, as I've referenced several times throughout this podcast, throughout these previous 297, and as now I am in the midst of completing number 298, uh, I've, I've many, in many ways I, I like to live by the philosophy that Walter Payton had, the great Bears fullback, or running back, who, um, upon scoring a touchdown, uh, while many players do, and now today, I mean, don't forget, Walter Payton has been out of football for 30-some years, um, but, you know, people used to spike the ball. That was the big thing when you scored a touchdown. You spiked the ball. You threw the ball against the ground, and because of the weird shape of it, it would go in all crazy places. But it was kind of this this christening that you got into the end zone. It was the it was the long held goal to get into that end zone. And you finally did, and so you showed your your joy and elation for getting in there. And then, as uh, time went on, and um, society became much more uh, narcissistic, and look at me. And now we're, of course, at the pinnacle of that. But even in the 70s, it started. And players started to to do celebrations and dances and choreography. And uh, it got a little crazy. The NFL has tried to crack down on over-celebrating, <laughs> whatever. And talk about, uh, that, that's not too subjective, is it? How do, you, how do you describe when someone is celebrating too much? <laughs> they actually give you penalties for that. Um, but, um, so in the midst, as, as this growing trend was beginning in the seventies and eighties of these elaborate, uh, touchdown celebrations, Walter Payton, who was a class act, uh, decided to go in a completely different direction, which I admired. And he would score a touchdown and just flip the ball to the referee. Every so often when there was some emotional thing, you know, an emotional game or a, uh, an especially tough, uh, you know, set of plays and drive that went down the field or it was, you know, they were grinding it out. And I, every so often when Walter did score a touchdown, he would show some great emotion and he would spike the ball. And that was and you knew then that that for whatever reason that touchdown meant something to him. Because for the most part, he would, um, he would just go about his business, very workmanlike. And his philosophy was, you know what, when I score a touch, because people ask him, well, why don't you do anything um, special or out of the ordinary or elaborate when you score a touchdown? You just flip the ball. Everybody else is dancing and doing all these other crazy things, these antics, and you're just, you just score a touchdown, flip the ball to the referee. Why is that? And he says, because... Uh, I expect to score a touchdown. I've been there. I've been there before in the end zone, and I intend on getting there again. So, why the celebration? That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. 
If you're celebrating out of your mind that you scored a touchdown, it's like you never expected to, and you may never do it again. So you want to relish the the moment and make it special. He said, in my mind, I'll be back here. No need to go crazy. I've been here before. I'll be back again. And that was the same philosophy I've I've spoken about um, one of my childhood idols, Tony Esposito, the goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks when I was growing up. And I said how... The uh, you know how how Tony I I, I I I emulated him and learned a lot about sportsmanship from him, just by observing how he played and and he did the same thing. He would make these miraculous saves, these 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 physical saves, you know, sprawling, his arms flying, legs flying, stopping the puck. Or just just a great glove save, or, or just a just a solid save, and and uh, you know many times a goalie will make a uh, a dramatic glove save when a, a shot is fired at him, and he'll he'll snatch it right out of the air, and he'll hold his glove up to show people, look at what I just did. I just saved a goal here. Do you see? There's nothing behind. My glove here, if I don't catch that, it's in the net. And they they would hold the glove up there as a, almost like a pose. And, of course, the fans, the hometown fans, if it was, would cheer their heads off. And it was, once again, a look-at-me moment. Well, Tony O would make these amazing saves. Many of them are on YouTube. You can just hit Tony Esposito, great saves, and all these compilations will come up. And you will notice that after he makes these uh, tremendous saves and the crowd is screaming, he just kind of flips the puck to the ref or just gets up and puts his head down and kind of moves the shaved ice from all the skates from one side to the other not to block his way. He just goes about his business as if to say, I was supposed to save that shot, wasn't I? That was my job. I'm not celebrating it because there's going to be another shot coming up next, and I'm going to, I have to save that one too. That's my job. So here's the puck, and let's continue playing. No big deal. And I've always, uh, I've always respected that. I like that attitude. Some people, uh, you know, love to do these elaborate dances and crazy legs and show off and look at me and and you know. But when I played sports. <laughs> Excuse me. When I played sports, that's the way I went about it. I just uh, made the play and let's move on. And uh, and so that's how I feel somewhat about this podcast. Uh, I guess three hundred uh, podcasts is a big deal, and maybe I'll do something special. Have maybe a special guest or, or I'm retrospective. I don't know. Or maybe I'll just say welcome to episode three hundred and. The next one is 301 because I didn't say, wow, I hope I someday could ever get to 300. I never thought about it. 300 is a nice number, but I don't think it's a pinnacle. I'm expecting to do this, uh, you know, continue this. So I've got to do 300 in order to get to 350, right? Or in order to get to 315 or to get to 500, whatever it is. So we'll see. I appreciate the interest, though. I'm glad that people and listeners are excited about it, and they're happy, and they're congratulating. That's great. I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying the fact that um, 
I've been doing this now for for almost six years. Every week, I guess you know that's that's something to uh, to take a bow for, and I appreciate that, and I certainly appreciate those who have been listening not only maybe just recently or maybe from episode one. As I I say in the opening, your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated, and please know that that is a sincere statement. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this is why I'm doing it. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it every week. That's my job, quote unquote. That's the, that's the uh, commitment I made to, to, to keep doing a podcast every week. So with time, they add up and it's, it's adding up to 300 right now. And then it's hopefully will add up to 350 and four and 450 and five, and who knows? I don't know if I'm going to be doing this uh, forever, but while I'm doing it, um, I, I do subscribe to that that kind of philosophy of, hey, I've been here before, I'll keep doing it. I expected to get to 300. I expect, you know, because I'm doing it every week. It adds up. 300 comes, and then 310, and then 320, and then 350, and then... Whatever, so we'll see. But once again, thank you for the for the interest and the um, uh, you know the the appreciation of it, and uh, and I appreciate it from you. Uh, but uh, but I do I, I do respect that kind of attitude of um, hey, that's why I'm here. That's my job. So we'll see as three hundred approaches. But let's focus on number two ninety eight, which is right now. I've spoken about this in passing a few times, uh, both on this podcast and uh, recently when I was on the radio on WGN, filling in for Dean Richards. Uh, I didn't talk about it a lot, though. Didn't get into it as, you know, I didn't get into it uh, with as much depth as I had planned on. I was under some time constraints. But here we don't really have those. So I thought I would um, I would expand on a topic that I had brought up in the past uh, and most recently just to sort of completely flesh it out. Uh, so <laughs> I, I I've noticed this over the last several years and uh, and I'm not sure why. Well, I guess I am now. When I was on the radio recently, I, I broached this subject and I asked this question to listeners. And the most common r- response I got, the most common answer, both from a listener who called in and I spoke to her about it, as well as several texts that came in when I threw the question out to the, the wider listening audience on the radio, which is why, as I said many times, I enjoy doing the podcast very much. But I also, I love live radio because of its immediacy, it's happening in the moment, and the ability to interact in real time with people, either by them calling in and talking to them on the phone, or now, which most people do, sadly, because you know radio is an audio-centric Medium, and so you would rather talk to people 
But today, most people text. It's easier. It's anonymous. They don't need to worry about their voice and, and being articulate. They can just write and send it off. So I understand that, but from a from a, from the medium itself and from the energy and uh, and information and the sharing ultimately that's what it is the sharing of it ultimately there's nothing better than if you're on the radio and you you're speaking to a phone caller someone who is reacting to what you said either negatively or positively and i appreciate and respond to all of those negative and positive you know I, my style is is i i i like to be thought provoking i like to be irreverent i like to be satirical I have very strong opinions, uh, and I and I like to share them. It doesn't mean that I think I'm right all the time, and and part of the reason that I that I do like to share it is I like to hear another side. I like to get I like to get information. I like to debate. Even though I have strong opinions, I'm not afraid to change my opinion. If somebody says something that I think makes sense, maybe that I never thought of, and I go, okay, wait a minute. Now, I've been holding this opinion for a long time. I didn't have this information. I didn't have that viewpoint. But you know what? You're right. I'll be the first to admit it. I will defend my opinions with vigor and with, uh, and with uh, a lot of enthusiasm. But I will also lay down my arms, and if I if I find out, if I consider what somebody you know gives a counterpoint to what I've said, and I think that wow, you know what, I never thought of that. I will certainly acquiesce and say, you know what, you're right. I'm going to change my mind on that. Some people, and that's that's where we're in a, in a big uh, problem today, is that people uh, will not compromise at all on what they believe is right they don't want to hear anything that does not fall within their opinion they've they've made up their opinion whether it's based on fact or fiction and they will not budge from it and that's why we're in such a divisive and troubling time right now is because people aren't learning from one another we're not sharing with each other we are we are sharing with only those who think like us i like to share with everybody i like to get as many different opinions as possible and consider all those different viewpoints and then those and all that information either confirms what i thought or opens me up to perhaps a new way of thinking Wow, consider that. Could you imagine changing your viewpoint and changing your opinion? Wow, there's a novel idea. <laughs> so that's why I really like live radio. Because I have that, that, that need and that yearning to, to share and to, to talk to other people. And, uh, and share what I think and also take in what they think. And... At the very least, even if I don't change my mind, maybe that discussion helps inform and change other people's mind, either toward my mind, either toward my opinion, or maybe to another one. The idea is the, 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 uh, the debate, 
the churning of this so that we hear lots of different opinions and you, and you open yourself up to different viewpoints. So I, I opened, I opened that, the, the question up to the, the, the listening audience on the radio to this topic and um, and I really was surprised. I was I was expecting um, a wider response of possible answers to my question, and I found that it was basically the same one. And what disappointed me on that was I wasn't all that impressed with that answer. So in this case, I have to say. Uh, that I did not change my mind. I considered the information and the, and the reasoning that was put forth by those who had a different opinion than me. And in this case, uh, I had to say, I see what you're saying, but it's still, not, it's still not cutting the mustard with me. So here's the topic. And you, if you've listened to me on the radio, maybe you even know where I'm going with this. Um. I have, I have noticed a, a very disturbing trend over the last couple of years. It certainly seemed to be elevated during the early days of the pandemic. And as I said before, this whole idea of new normals or old normals or things like that, this is one of these areas that I mentioned to you that we can never really go back to what normal was in 2020 because... It's gone. It's two years away already now. And we've already altered our behavior and our daily routines to the fact that based on those, the realities of the pandemic and, and, and our need to adapt to them, that we have uh, taken on new behaviors and new routines that we don't, they're, they're so subtle because they were necessary for us to continue to move forward in our lives on a daily basis that we don't even realize. And so when we say, oh, yeah, well, I can't wait to get back to normal, whatever that normal you think is, it's not going to be the same normal from 2020. And that's the way I, I mentioned in a couple of podcasts ago. And you can go back once again, as I tell you, go back to listen to where we were so you know where we're going. Um, and you'll f- hear my entire philosophy on that. But, uh, but this is one of those things. That started, I believe, it was, it, I saw it happening before, but it wasn't as prevalent. It is now, to me, almost has taken over. And that's why I'm kind of raising the red flag here, because now it's gotten to the point where, okay, this isn't just an anomaly. It isn't just a fad. This seems to be now um, our new behavior, and I, I think it's very dangerous. I don't know if, if it's just where I live and where I go. I can't believe that. I, I would have to think it's everywhere, but I'm just telling you what I'm observing. Even pre-pandemic, but certainly during the pandemic now, I am seeing more people walking in the street as opposed to walking on the sidewalk. And you say, Jim, what's the big deal? Who cares? Well, if you're driving your car, it is a big deal. There are enough obstacles. There are enough potential hazards on the road without a pedestrian 
walking on the street next to a car. A car that weighs 3,000 pounds, a car that is not only a mode of transportation, but also a lethal and potentially fatal weapon. And that's what an automobile is. Now, they don't say that when you go to the car dealership. (laughs) When you walk into the car dealership, they don't say, and what potentially uh, lethal and fatal weapon uh, is catching your eye today, sir? What? What is it going to take for what it will it take for me to get you into this beautiful silver potentially fatal dangerous weapon? I don't know if that's a good selling point. When they have the annual um, automobile convention here in Chicago, they don't say, uh, "Wow, we're excited for the new potentially fatal Weapon, moving weapon show at McCormick Place. No, it's the car show. (laughs) As much as cars have many, many different personalities and things that appeal to us, people love, I'm not a big car fan. I don't know, I've talked to you before about this. I don't know a lot about cars. Um, I I like a nice car. But I don't need to have a you know two hundred thousand dollar car. I don't know any of the I don't know car numbers and names and I don't know the history of cars. For the most part for me, a car is a mode of transportation. I like to have a car that is reliable. I like to car I have a car that is comfortable, that has amenities to it, that looks nice. I'm not saying that I want to just drive around in a in a in a clunker that's fallen apart. I certainly have some vanity, so yeah, I mean, in many ways, whatever we own, whatever, whatever objects we have, they are a reflection of us, whether it's the clothes you wear, uh, the car you drive, the house you live in, uh, the music you listen to, the jewelry you wear, whatever, whatever we have and whatever we, we use or put on in any way uh, when we're in the public square is a reflection of who we are, of what we like. And we often choose that to um, send that message out. It's, 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 it's not a mistake. It's by design. You buy, you know, that's why there's 8,000 types of, of, of sunglasses or, or prescription glasses, uh, you know, frames. There used to be like one or two. And now there's thousands because they're a reflection of our individual tastes, of the image or, or the, uh, the perception that we want to create to those who see us. And cars are certainly a part of that. But at the end of the day, for all the cool stuff about them, how they look, how they drive, all the stuff they can do, all that stuff that appeals to people – where there are car shows and people, you know, those uh, a lot of people go to um, these 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 vintage car nights where they'll go to a certain parking lot and just pull up with their vintage car. It's all cleaned and and renovated and rehabbed, and uh, it's a showpiece. And people will just go and look like at a museum. There is the in the in Illinois. There's a place called the the Volo Car Museum, a museum of cars. 
So cars are certainly a work of art. No question about that. And many people, that's their art. I might, I, I might, I might, uh, you know, prefer an artistic painting or drawing. But that's my. I'll go to a, I'll go to an art museum to look at paintings. Other people will go to a car museum to look at cars. That's their art, and that's great. That's fine. I'm 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 I'm, I'm just happy that people have a a hobby and have something that excites them and has something that they get into and that they they like being around because that's what I do. They don't they don't have to have the same they don't have to like the same thing I do. I just like that people are are into something than more than just casually. So yeah, the car there's no question. The car is a work of art for many people. For me, it's more of a mode of transportation. But for my discussion here, it is, sadly, a lethal weapon at times. A fatal lethal weapon that kills people uh, on a daily basis. How many times we wake up every morning? If you watch the news and you see there was a car crash overnight and you'll see cars just, you know, it's, it's a sad situation. So that's part of the car's history. It's not all just look at how great and cool it rides and look how great and cool it looks and the color and it does all this stuff and it talks to you and it drives itself and all the other things that cars have done and will do in the future. But it also, sadly, can be a lethal weapon. And so I am baffled and perplexed by people. We are so, our our bodies are so fragile. Why would you put yourself in a dangerous situation like that? Why would you, why would you purposely put yourself in that situation where, where we have a safe alternative, the sidewalk? And so I've noticed, first I noticed people running. I noticed people running, joggers more running in the street. And I, I, and it, and, you know, and, and yes, granted, most of the time they are far on each side, right next to the curb of the street. I get it. But, you know, a lot of times the streets are not uniform and the streets are not clean. And sometimes there is not a lot of room, uh, especially on a curving road. There's not a lot of room between the car and the curb. Most of the time, if you're on a, on a busy street or a side street, there's, there's enough room. But what gets scary is that when you're driving in a car, as I said before, there are many inherent obstacles. And we knew that, we know that when we took our driving lesson, when we were 16 years old. When you watched the movies, at least when I did, there was this thing. Did you perceive that potential obstacle? When I was, uh, I don't know if they still have them, but when I was learning to drive, there was a thing called a simulator where you, you, you sat in, it, was, it, it had a wheel and there was a videotape in front of you, like right where the windshield would be, and you had all of the main... Um, aspects of the car there you had a brake you had a pedal you know you had the gas pedal you had the brake you had to turn the key 
you had the uh, your directionals and you had your steering wheel and you had your mirrors. So all the main components that it takes to drive a car were in this simulator. That's why it was called a simulator because it wasn't a car. It was this contraption that you sat in. And when you press down the, 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 the gas pedal of this simulated car, like you see on a TV or a movie where they sit in these kind of recreated cars, then the video started to play and you were driving. And then there were these potential hazards. You would be driving along on a side street and all of a sudden a ball would fly from the street that kids were playing on and you'd have to stop. Or a kid would dash through, or a bike would fly by, or a runner would drive by, or a, a car door would open from a parked car, and they would stop the, the, the video and say, did you perceive that potential hazard? And you're like, ooh, geez, I, I don't know if I did. I may have just taken that, that car door off of that someone who just opened their door. So we know, at least we, I hope you know, that once you get in that car, you're att- and that's why we're having so many more accidents today, because the damn cell phone, the damn smartphone, is occupying people's attention, and they're taking their main focus away from driving. You're to drive that car takes one hundred and forty percent of your attention and focus. And don't get me wrong. That's again. I'm not saying that I am not distracted at times. I'm not saying that I'm not driving and, and, you know, and it's not right, and I'm being cautious, but we all do that, right? We're looking for something. We change the channel. We, we look for change. We open up the, um, the, the glove compartment. Uh, we drop something. You know, I, while I now do have a smartphone, I certainly wait until I get to a stoplight if I need to check it for some reason. Thankfully, I have the hands-free and the Bluetooth, which allows me to, to do most things without having to do it manually. But I, I admit, I, will have, I have done that. It's not good, but I at least will wait until I get to a stop sign or a stoplight. But yes, I mean, we're all distracted. But really, we should be putting 150% of our attention and focus on just driving, and paying attention to all the potential hazards that can happen. Whether it is a car moving into our lane, whether it is a car running through a red light, whether it is a, a big uh, you know, branch of a tree suddenly laying in the middle of the road, whether it is a kid running across the street in the middle jaywalking, whether it is a ball or something that comes flying in, whatever it may be, those things are potentially there every time we get into a car. And so it's, 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 it's more than enough just to stay vigilant on the inherent possible obstacles that, may, that we may encounter while we're driving that are natural to the driving experience. But then when you add on something that that doesn't need to be there, why are we adding more potential obstacles to an already complex process of driving a car? And then it's not just to the detriment of the driver, but why would why would we add another potential hazard that is 
not a potential hazard to just the driver, but a potential hazard to the person who's creating it, meaning the person who is running or walking in the street. You are inhabiting the area that we have created and assigned to automobiles. I know that we are creating bicycle lanes and all these other lanes and 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 we're and we're and we're we're shrinking the amount of real estate on any street major or side street that belongs to a car which I think is wrong because once again the car wins in most in most confrontations, if the car hits you, the car wins. If you are a bicyclist, if the car hits you, the car wins. If you are a jogger, if the car hits you, the car wins. If you are walking in the street, if the car hits you, the car wins. As I said before, it's 3,000 pounds of metal that is moving at the very least, 20 to 30 miles an hour, which is still a good clip when you've got 3,000 pounds behind you. And if you're going 50, 40 or 50, it's even more. We are fragile animals, this human race of ours. I don't care if you're a, a, a bike rider. I don't care. Unless you have a suit of armor on, your helmet is not going to save you. From a 3,000-pound car hitting you, even at 20 miles an hour. And bike riders have, been, have gotten very bold, and they've gotten uh, very uh, territorial in terms of thinking that the, the street is theirs. Now, they, and what's, what's potentially scary is that that's fine. Hey, when I was a young kid, I rode, drove my bike in the street. So I, I get it, but when there was a car there, I stopped at the stop sign. Many bicyclists don't believe that they need to, they want to share the street, but they don't want to share the responsibility of the street. And that responsibility means following the rules of the road. If you want to share the street with me, then you have to share the entire experience, which means you have to follow the rules. You can't go through a red light. You can't go through a stop sign. You can't just make a turn in front of a car. If you're going to share the street, then you share the whole experience of the street, not just the traversing of the street. You have to share the entire experience of the rules that we have learned in order to get by without injury. And many times bicyclists do not do that. And now, I sadly, we have to put runners and walkers into that same situation at least when i drove a bike when i was a young kid when i drove in the street i did drive against traffic so at least the driver could see me and i could see a car coming as opposed to not knowing that there's this potentially lethal three thousand pound weapon behind me at least I wanted to see, once again, the potential hazard. I wanted to put myself 
in a situation that gave me the best chance to be safe, and that would be to going against traffic. And if there was a if it was a tight side street, and I was driving my bike, and I saw a car two blocks ahead of me, and I'm like, wow, this is a one-way street, and there's cars parked on both sides, so you know what? I'm going to pull over in this little spot here and let the car go past me and then continue. I don't know if a lot of people even do that. What drives me crazy when I'm driving is there will be nobody behind me, right? I'm driving on a, a regular 30 to 40 mile an hour street, major thoroughfare. And there's a car waiting at a stop sign or at a parking lot to cut into traffic. Now, first of all, the rule is, of course, which makes complete sense, that the, that the existing traffic has the right-of-way as opposed to those cutting in. So if you're cutting in to traffic, you don't have the right-of-way. You're not supposed to go past the stop sign, have half your car hanging into the, into the thoroughfare because you're anxious to get through and you don't want to wait. Sorry, that's the rule of the road. But how many people do that? But the worst is when you're driving at a good clip, 30 or 40 miles an hour, on a street, and there is a car at a stop sign waiting to cut in, there's nobody behind you for miles. But this person will make a dangerous cut-in right in front of you when all they have to do is wait two seconds for you to pass them, and they can slowly and safely turn into traffic with no one behind them, no need for, for this dangerous turn uh, that's right in front, that, I, that if, if I don't see them cutting in, I can hit them. They could get hit. Most people, sadly, do not look, when they're driving, they don't look two blocks ahead of them or two blocks behind them to see what's happening. They only look what's right in front of them. They make horrible decisions um, in this effort to beat somebody or, or they don't want to wait anymore, and all they have to do is wait three more seconds instead of making some dangerous right turn into traffic in front of a car that's already been, fly, been, been driving at a regular rate. So by, if you hit the brakes, it's gonna, it, they're not going to be able to stop. Why risk that? Wait two seconds for the car to pass you, and there's no one behind, and then you just make a nice turn. And this stressful, this, stre- this, stressful in- this stressful moment of you deciding and then and, and hitting the, the gas and making this wild turn and forcing other people to react to you and, and stop, hopefully, you created a, a potentially dangerous, hazardous situation for no reason except that you didn't look ahead. You didn't look behind. You didn't plan ahead. You just looked at what was in front of you. And that's what I'm seeing now from this trend of people who are walking and running in the street. Many of them are not walking and running against traffic so that they can see what's ahead of them. They can see the potential hazard of this 3,000-pound lethal weapon coming at them and act accordingly. 
they are not leaving enough room. Sometimes, I mean, many people, yes, will be walking or running close to the curb. Okay, fine. On, a, on, a, on an average street, there may be a five-foot space from where you drive to where the curb is. Maybe 10. Who knows? Depending on the street. But if it's a, if it's a, it's a major thoroughfare, a two-lane street on one side, there's not sometimes that second lane is right. You are right up against the curb. And there's somebody either walking or running. And I'm now driving at a 40-mile-an-hour 40, 40 clip, and suddenly there's somebody turning a corner and now is in my way. So what I understand, I, I, so I, I couldn't understand what was going on. There's a, side, there's a sidewalk right there that's another 40 or 50 feet away. Uh, there's no boundary there. There is a curb at least, but at least it's a walkway. It's made for you to walk on. That's why we have sidewalks. I understand there are some areas when you're walking where the sidewalk disappears. I get it. But I'm talking about the majority of major streets and major neighborhood areas where there are sidewalks available. They are wide open. They are empty. And runners and walkers are walking in the street. They are making themselves an obstacle. They are making themselves a possible hazard to the driver, and they are making themselves a possible victim. I said before, there's, a, there's, there's several possible obstacles that, that drivers must be ready for and must be alert for every minute you're driving. And now we're adding one that doesn't need to be there. We should be eliminating risk, not adding risk for both sides on this one. If I'm driving down the street and there's a pothole and I need to swerve quickly and maybe I can't swerve to the left because there's traffic coming in their direction, I swerve right because that makes sense toward the curb, away from traffic. But now there's somebody walking or running. That runner doesn't know that. I don't know that until I, until I come upon this pothole or this branch. Or once again, if there's traffic, if there's traffic coming at me from the other, what if, what if the person on the, on the opposite side comes, crosses the middle lane and comes into my lane? I have to swerve to divert, to, 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 uh, to get away from them. And now where the safe haven is the curb area. And now there's an obstacle there, and it's a person. It's not a tree. It's not an inanimate object. It's a person with a family, with a life. Why are you risking that? The car wins in that confrontation, in that, in that meeting. The car wins. Now, when I broached the subject on the radio, the main answer that came back to me, I felt was not adequate. I understood the, I understood the reasoning, but I couldn't agree with it. And the main reason 
to me, was very weak. If I'm running or walking, especially running, many sidewalks are uneven, and I can hurt myself. That was the that was the overwhelming response to my question, why are people walking and running in the street as opposed to the sidewalk? The main, a, f- a phone caller came in and I had a conversation with her and I, 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 I didn't agree and I didn't vehemently disagree with her. I didn't want to get into a big confrontation about it. But I didn't agree with her. I didn't. I, I gave her. I said, I, "Well, at least you're running against traffic. I'll give you that." But still, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation for the only reason that the street, in her mind, was more smooth than the sidewalk. Sidewalks are uneven, and if you're running, you can you know sprain an ankle, twist an ankle. I get that. In theory. But if you're running, why can't you be looking down at the street or at the sidewalk while you're running in a second? And once again, as I said before, look ahead. Don't just look at what's ahead of you or right in front of you. Look ahead. If you're running with your head up on a sidewalk, you will be, you will be seeing other potentially people coming toward you or walking on the same, going the same way. You have to go around them. You'll be looking ahead to see an upcoming intersection that you'll have to either stop at or you can go through if there's no, if no cars coming. And in the same way that you have your, your, your forward vision, you can look to see, oh, it looks like the sidewalk is tilting or it looks like the sidewalk is cracked. I may need to run on the grass there or something. You can make adjustments if you're running on the sidewalk if you are paying attention and looking ahead and once again like in the car you are traveling so same thing did you identify those potential hazards if you're running or walking you should still be alert and and be ready to identify those potential hazards you can't just walk across the street At an intersection, you have to look both ways, right? So when you're running or walking on a sidewalk, why can't you look to see if the sidewalk is is torn up or is uneven? Look ahead. Make an adjustment. (laughs) But at least you're on a sidewalk. You're in a, a... in a safety zone, at least, and, and you could say, oh, well, you know, a car could jump over the curb. I get that. You know, where are, you, where, where, where are any of us safe? I understand that. But at least the sidewalk is safer. It's 50, to, 50 feet, if not more, away from the car in the street. The odds are you're going to get hit if you're walking or running in the street more than if you're walking and running on a sidewalk, right? Can we agree on that? So this, I, I was expecting a, a much more in-depth reason. I didn't know if they said that there's something, in, you know, especially runners who are very attuned to all of the, uh, you know, external elements, especially serious runners, 
I thought that the answer was going to be, well, you know, the concrete on a sidewalk is, you know, the, the makeup of it, the components are different than the components of the cement or the asphalt on a street, and perhaps the asphalt is softer and it's, it, it, it gets less wear and tear on your legs or your ankles or your knees. I thought there was some, you know, scientific, you know, concrete, no pun intended, reason as to why the street was more appealing to run on than the sidewalk. Why you would put yourself in physical and potentially fatal danger by running and walking in the street as opposed to the sidewalk. I thought there was some 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 scientific study or some type of of um, you know, external reason except for just the fact that sidewalks can be uneven and I could trip. As I said before, you can trip uh in the in the street. And once again, if you fall on the street and you trip on the street, you're now a potential hazard again for a car. You mean to tell me that the street has no imperfections on it? Wow, that's news to me. The the the, the street, I guess the, the streets and sanitation people would be happy to hear that, but I don't know. When I see a curb, and I, I see a lot of garbage in the curb, I see, I see uh, branches on the curbs, I see potholes near the curbs, I see uneven... Um, I see uneven surfaces in the street and near the curbs. So I don't, I, I, I can't buy that. If that's the only reason, I would put my safety far ahead of the uneven street because I could once again, if I'm, if I'm being alert running on the sidewalk, I can maneuver, I can identify the street and I can identify a uh, or the sidewalk, and I can identify a crumbled sidewalk or a or an uneven sidewalk, and I can plan for that. As, when I get to that point, if I'm staying alert and looking ahead, I can plan around that. But at least I'm not sharing space with a potentially lethal weapon, the car. So, I I. And, and, and I tell you, I mean, there's been, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because over the last month or so, I have had a few incredible experiences with this. I was driving down my side street, and there was an elderly woman. And it was a perfect day. There was no, it was, it was sunny. There was no problems. Now, a lot of people were saying, you know, now this winter, well, there's ice. You know, a lot of people don't shovel their sidewalks, so the sidewalks are icy, and the street uh, at least is plowed. So that's why I'm walking and running on the street. Okay, I'll, I, I understand that. But this happens not just in the winter. This, this trend, this new habit, this new behavior is happening in the summer when it's not raining, sunny day, beautiful day, people are running and walking in the street. You can't tell me that, that it's not happening. It is. So it's not just that in the winter, this is a 12-month behavior that's happening. There is an elderly woman. I make a right turn onto my street, and there was an elderly woman walking in the middle of the street, the middle of the street, with traffic, 
She had no idea that I was behind her at all. I make this turn, and I'm, I'm moving, once again, at 25 to 30 miles an hour. Still, even, even though that might be slow in terms of driving a car, if a car hits you at that, it can do major damage. So I'm making my left turn, or my right turn at the normal speed, and suddenly, right there, practically, I encounter this woman in the middle of the street, walking very slow, and completely oblivious to the fact that I am behind her. She has no idea. She's walking with traffic. I am now driving in the middle of the street where I belong. It's the, the cars still own the street. They, the, the streets were made for cars. They started being made you know, with, for buggies and horses, and now they're for cars. There is no one on either side of the street on the sidewalks. So there's no, nothing wrong with the sidewalks. But she now is walking in the middle of the street with her power walk. Although she was an elderly woman, there wasn't a lot of power going on. So she's walking slowly, middle of the street. I am behind her. Now, I, I, I don't want to go around her because that's creating a possible danger situation because what if she moves? She doesn't even know I'm there to begin with. I don't want to honk because I might scare her. So for a full block, a full residential block, and you say, Jim, what's the big deal? It's a full block. Well, it is a full block. It is, it is a big deal because this is unnecessary. And she is a potential hazard. And she is creating a potential hazard, making herself a potential victim. But I am literally now driving behind her for a full block. I'm, I'm not, I don't even have my foot on the gas. That's how slow the car is going. And I have my foot over the brake because I don't know. If she falls, I have to be ready to stop. She never knew I was behind her. Even when we got to the intersection, I decided to turn off and get away from her, she still did not know I was ever behind her. Unbelievable. I saw a woman. There's a lot of people now with these with these uh, baby carriages that you can, when you jog, you can run with it, either behind you or in front of you. She had one where it was behind her. Have you seen those? Almost like a wagon? She's running in the street with her kid. In this covered wagon, in the street, in a two-lane street with 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 traffic, and she's going with traffic, not against traffic. And there's only two lanes, and there's not a lot of room on the side, and there's an open sidewalk right there. I I I I I almost pulled over because I was so nervous. I was so afraid that someone was going to hit her. I knew that I saw her, and I saw the potential hazard there, but I was afraid that someone else wasn't going to. All it would take was a quick swerve, and there would have been tragedy. You know, as I said before, when you're driving, when you're reacting, 
you're, if there is something that all of a sudden comes in front of you, a branch falls, a ball comes flying, something else, you stop or you swerve. It's a, it's a, it's a split second, almost instinctual reaction. And you're reacting to that. And you're assuming that you have that side is open for you. And you, you have every right to assume that because that's the way it's supposed to be. But now suddenly we're allowing that to be inhabited by people. I don't get it. I don't know why there is not a law against this. But this is a serious problem that can, that's only going to seem to get worse. And if the only reason is that sidewalks are uneven, that's not enough. So I implore you, if you are a runner or you are a walker, please consider the sidewalk again. When I was younger, I used to run. I ran two or three miles from my house. I ran on the sidewalk. (laughs) I ran on the sidewalk. I'm not telling you to do something that I couldn't do or didn't do. I did it. If you're running or walking, you should be aware of your surroundings regardless, so you should be able to look ahead And if there is this incredibly uneven sidewalk that you're on, you can avert it for a couple of, you can run on on the grass for a second. Why are you putting yourself in danger, first of all, unless, as I said before, unless you're wearing a suit of armor, you're putting your fragile body in harm's way for no real reason. I and then there seems to be some kind of a entitlement too. I mean, if you if you confront the person, they're almost acting like, "Hey, I'm running." Yeah, you're running where cars go. The streets were made for cars. They were not made for runners. And you can't just force the issue. If I was a runner, if I was a daily runner or a daily walker, I would want to make that experience as stress-free and as safe as possible. That's the whole idea of it, right? You're either walking for the exercise, you're walking for the the ability to maybe work off some stress, you're, you're walking or running maybe to enjoy the environment around you. You do that much safer on a sidewalk than in the street. If you're running in the street, you have to now really be vigilant. I would think you're ruining your experience. And if you're not being vigilant, then you're being very irresponsible. And you are being a hazard to yourselves and to other people. So I implore you. And most, I would assume most people who are runners and walkers are drivers as well. Don't you see the potential when you're a driver and do you ever come across a runner and go, Jesus, why is that person running like that? Well, you're that person to in another situation. So think how the driver feels. This is not one of these situations where you can't put yourself in the same, in that person's shoes because most of us are drivers. Most runners and walkers also drive. So while you're walking and running in the street, Think about if you were driving and saw you, would you be an obstacle? 
Would you be a potential hazard? If you would be, then get on the sidewalk. That's why they're there. I say this because I really see this as something that is getting worse than better. This is not a good new normal. You know, I think that the reason why this may have gotten elevated during the pandemic was because less people were out. Less people were driving around. So suddenly the streets were open. And so the runners and walkers, maybe if there were bigger groups, right, then the argument was, well, we had seven people in our group. It's easier to walk in the street and all talk than to walk seven across on a sidewalk. Sidewalk's not that wide. So during the pandemic, especially the early couple of months of it, if people were trying to get out to socialize a little and get a little exercise, they were using the street because the street was wider and they could, it could, uh, you know, uh, it could accommodate their, their, their larger party than they could if they were walking on a sidewalk. I get that. But now that's over. Cars are back. Traffic is back. You go back to where you were. I'm sorry that you can't have your eight across coffee clatch in the street, but the street is not a place to have that gathering. That belongs in the sidewalk or in a yard or in a park, not on a street with cars. That may have been a temporary a luxury that you may have been able to, uh, to uh, experience during the pandemic, but that's over. Cars are back. Cars are on the street. It's time to move off. Use the sidewalk. Please. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends. Tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast, send them a link, send them a message that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed episode number 298. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.